You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Everybody, we are locked into episode two of the December 26er podcast. I'm your host, Alicia. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether you are a first time listener or are returning after checking out episode one. You are appreciated. Now, first and foremost, Happy New Year! 2018 is here, and I don't know about you, but I cannot believe that we are this deep into the 21st century. And I gotta admit, I'm a little bit freaked out by how quickly the years roll by now. I guess that quote rings true, the days are long, but the years are short. I am definitely feeling that today, but I'm also feeling a bit of excitement. I'm living in a state of expectancy about what 2018 has to offer, and I'm looking forward to seeing what unfolds in not only my own life, but yours as well, because if you are tuned into this podcast, that tells me that you are a fellow 26er, that you want to be better than good, you desire to be great, you desire to be extraordinary, and I'm here to support you along the way. So as long as you keep listening, I'll keep recording. But talk to me, send comments, questions, feedback, because that helps the production team and I to think up ideas for shows and keep delivering content that you will enjoy. Now, before we get into today's episode, I am pleased to announce that we are officially on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. So yes, you have more great ways to find us out on the internet. If you are an Apple user, all you have to do is go into your podcast app and search for the December 26th podcast and we should pop up. And if you subscribe, your feed will automatically be updated every time a new episode is released. And whether you're on an Apple product or Android, you can find us on Stitcher and TuneIn. Both of those programs have apps that you can download and also subscribe. So tune in on a regular basis. We're going to keep rocking. We're going to keep putting this content out and build this community person by person, brick by brick. So let's get into today's topic. I want to continue to explore the art of reinvention. I think it's important to delve into this topic a little more deeply because I'm sure many of you are sitting down and setting your goals for 2018. You are writing a list of accomplishments that you want to reach by this time in 2019. And all of that is great, but I think often we go about it completely wrong. So I'll just tell you, I dislike resolutions. I don't set them. I think they're ineffective. I think we're setting ourselves up for failure when we make them. And U.S. News actually confirms my belief. There's an article out there that says that 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by the second week of February. So that means that many of us spend all this time creating these extensive lists of Olympian-level goals that we want to achieve within the next 12 months. And after the first six weeks of the year, 80% of us have fallen off the wagon. And that list is either completely forgotten about or we spend so much time engaging in a level of self-judgment or shame or guilt that we continue to demotivate ourselves to the point where we don't even want to try. So why does this happen? 26ers are not lazy people. Let me just tell you that right now. It's not because you're lazy. Stop beating yourself up. Many of us are high, high achievers. But often we achieve when there is something tangible that we can see as an endpoint. So we need that ribbon at the finish line. It could be 
a salary or a payment for what it is that you're working on. It could be public recognition. It could be a specific milestone where you know if you just follow steps one through three that you will get there. Now, the problem with most of the goals that we set this time of year is that they're often a shot in the dark. They're just too lofty or too vague for anyone to be successful at them. So let me give you an example. Most people have at least one health and wellness related resolution on their list. And it goes a little something like this. I'm going to run a marathon or I'm going to lose 30 pounds. The end. That's it. That's the only level of detail that they provide for themselves on the list. Then they get up on January 2nd or January 3rd. They put on their fly workout clothes. They grab their water bottle and they go to the gym without much direction. And that may go on for a few weeks. Then all of a sudden you wake up late one day and you don't make it or you're really exhausted after a long day at work and you don't go and before you know it you are on the couch not getting any physical activity and you say to yourself I'm no good at this I can't work out I don't have it in me and you just table the goal altogether until January 1st comes around again and you put it back on the list and I'm right there with you I haven't crushed each and every aspiration on my list I've got a few goals that have carried over from year to year that I'm still working through. But I had a bit of an epiphany that has helped me become more of a goal crusher than I was a few years ago. And that is, the problem here is we don't have the right mindset. You can set a goal, you can have the desire, but if the mindset is not there to be disciplined to complete it, you can forget it. You might as well keep it off the list. So a better way and a better approach to starting the new year is setting the right intention. So instead of saying, I'm going to run a marathon or I am going to lose 30 pounds, you set the intention that you are going to be a healthier version of yourself. Then you've got to accomplish self-imposed small challenges on a consistent basis to reinforce and strengthen that mindset. Now, with any lofty or really big goal, there's going to come discomfort and stress. That is why there are so few people who are masters of their craft. Because for the large majority of us, the minute that stress comes, we're going to gracefully bow out. We get overwhelmed. We're going to bury our heads in the sand and say, forget it. I cannot take it. And the reason you're so quick to give up is because you have not developed the mindset muscle and the discipline to keep going. And that's not something that happens overnight. That's why these really small challenges are so important. Now remember, we identified starting small as a critical component to reinvention last week. Why is it so critical? Starting small helps to build self-trust. Now many of us wouldn't admit it, but even as high achievers, we often set these really lofty goals and subconsciously we don't even believe that we can achieve them. So I like setting small surmountable tasks that I know I'm going to complete every day to basically tell myself this is what I do. If I'm choosing to be a healthier person, it is no longer a goal that's far off. It's something that I am working on and actually attaining every single day. So after you've set your intention, go ahead and create a small pledge to yourself. One thing that you know you will actually get done on a regular basis. And why this is important is it will actually begin to reprogram your inner voice, that message or that record that's playing over and over and over and over again. 
if you go from I want to be that person to I actually am that person and I'm standing in it and I'm resting in this new version of myself, over time you'll create a greater appetite for more discipline and a greater appetite to handle the stress that comes with the larger goal. So that's my sermon on New Year's. Ditch the resolution, set the intention, take the small step and build on it. And I promise you, you'll probably end up running that marathon or losing those 30 pounds eventually. So let's continue down this path to reinvention. One piece of advice that I've had to give myself repeatedly on my own journey is to stop waiting for everything to be perfect just to get started. I will readily admit that I am a perfectionist to the nth degree. Whenever starting a new project or venture, I tend to research the topic to death. Then I ask several people for advice or input. Then I'll go back and research some more. Then I may launch. And if it's not exactly to my liking, I will scrap the whole thing and start again. And I may go through this cycle several times before I actually make anything real happen. And I've learned over time that this is just all a front for procrastination. And generally I'm procrastinating because I have a fear of failure. So if you're like me and experiencing the same issue, you got to get over it. I'm here to tell you that at some point, if you want to be great, you are going to fall flat on your face. Now, if you're listening to this and you're saying, I've never failed at anything, that means that you are not exhausting your full potential. You have played it way too safe. If you don't have some kind of failure on your record or hitting a brick wall, that means that there's a lot left for you to do and you need to be stretched. I can guarantee you that any icon that you look up to has failed either privately or publicly in a major way before hitting their stride. It's just a necessary part of the equation. You've got to learn by actually doing. And that means that sometimes you're going to fall flat on your face, particularly when you're trying to blaze a new trail or do something that hasn't been done before. There's simply no blueprint. So you've got to figure it out as you go. But one thing we do on the December 26er Instagram page to help you along the way is called Famous Figure Friday. At the end of every week, we feature one public figure who's made great strides in his or her career. And we talk about a setback, some major loss that they experienced and how they overcame it. And we try to extract a lesson that you can apply to your own life, particularly in the face of adversity. So if you're looking for some weekly motivation to help you keep going when things get tough, be sure to check out our Instagram. The next tip on this path to reinvention, be prepared for criticism. Just trust me on this one. It is going to come. Sometimes it'll be constructive. Sometimes it'll be destructive. But I can guarantee you, you're going to be faced with it at one point or another. One passage that I live by is beware when all men speak well of you. Personally, I feel that if everyone is singing my praises and bigging me up at all times, that means that I am not being my authentic self because you can't please everybody all the time. You're going to have the naysayers. You're going to have someone who wants to throw darts, particularly if you are engaging in the advice that I gave last week of removing toxicity from your life and cutting certain people off. Folks are going to have something to say. And a lot of times just coming from a place of insecurity or them feeling uncomfortable with the way in which your relationship has changed or the fact that you have evolved as a person. So how do you deal with criticism without feeling backed into a corner with the need to attack back or feeling like your ego has been crushed or your self-esteem has been bruised? Listen. This is the first thing. Not all criticism is bad criticism. So use a rake. 
rake in what's good for you and leave the rest. Really think about it and say, is any of this true? Are there any things here that I can actually take and improve upon? And if you can't work through that yourself, talk to someone you trust and get their opinion about whether any of that criticism is actually constructive or valid. Next step, don't take anything personally. One of my favorite books is called The Four Agreements, A Practical Guide to Personal Freedom by Don Miguel Ruiz. And this is one of the four. People will say all kinds of things to you. And the quicker that you can remember that none of it is about you and all of it is a projection of their own issues and their own perception of you, the quicker you can become immune to the opinion of others and basically limit your feelings of victimhood or needless suffering. And I know it can be hard in the heat of the moment to maintain your zen. I'm no guru. So I still struggle when someone's pushing my buttons and probably purposely trying to tick me off. But one of the steps that I use to try to keep calm and not respond in kind is remind myself that everyone is in their own personal battle. This helps me to humanize the other person, even when they're coming at my neck. Then after that, I generally say something like this. Thank you so much for your feedback. I will take it into consideration. The end. I know it sounds very abrupt and generally people are caught off guard that you're not trying to defend your choices or engage or spar with them in some way, but it's really just the best approach. If you're not finding value in what it is that they're saying and it's upsetting you, it's better to take it back and process it later. Anything else is going to be wasted energy. My last tip for today is near and dear to my heart. You have to find your tribe. Once you've gone through the trouble of eliminating toxicity from your life and ending those relationships that aren't finding value, you have to be sure to replace them with meaningful ones. No man is an island. Trying to have any level of significance or influence or just be the highest version of yourself can be a very isolating experience. And you want to make sure that you create a community of support, a village that's going to cheer you on when things are going amazingly well and comfort you when things are going not so great. Now, I believe in a well-rounded circle, so I split my tribe into three discrete categories that I think are crucial to my own personal development, and I'm very intentional about cultivating relationship in each of the three. If you find them useful, feel free to copy. The first, peer motivators. These are the homies, the folks who are at the same station in life as me, in the trenches just trying to make it happen. But I love having these folks in my corner because, A, they're intimately familiar more so than the other two categories with the goings-on of my life on a day-to-day basis. And they're the people that I can call without judgment at 3 o'clock in the morning when things are not going my way and I just want to vent. And they also keep me honest because they know me probably better than the other two categories. So I know they're going to give me sincere, genuine feedback that I should probably take to heart. The second category, influences and connectors. These are the folks who have a deep Rolodex, the people who know someone who knows someone. If you're trying to build or develop anything, you are going to need connections. So it's important if you don't have them to start to build them. Now, just to tell you my own personal story, when I was in law school, right around the time that we all were getting job offers, we went through the Great Recession of 08. It's when the real estate bubble bursts and literally jobs were disappearing. And a lot of my friends and classmates were actually losing their offers or getting their offers deferred. Now, I was fortunate enough to actually hold on to mine, but decided it was a job that I did not want. 
So I turned it down and chose to come to New York instead. And I knew that I had some interest in working in the entertainment and media space, but didn't even know how I was going to get there or where to start. And this is where the influencer and connector category first came in for me. So one day I was actually just sitting in the salon getting my hair done and the owner of the salon had a friend in town who was there to do makeup actually for prom weekend and in conversation I just mentioned to her that I had this interest in entertainment and that I was preparing uh, to move north from DC where I was in law school and she said you know what if you come north I've got some contacts please give me a call or send me an email so I did that once I got ready uh, to make the move I just dropped her a note and said hey We met a few months ago. I'm now about to make the transition and just reaching out to you as you suggested that I do. She invited me to New York. And before I knew it, I was in BET's offices. And I met someone who worked at BET at the time, who then introduced me to someone else who worked at BET. And I eventually got the first set of freelance work that basically started my career in the business. So you never know who your influencer or connector might be. Don't go with just the people who have the most prestige. Often it's the people with their ear to the ground that some may not suspect are the most well-connected that'll help you get to the next level. So I know many of us struggle with self-promotion, and I'm not saying you have to be a walking billboard all the time for what it is that you're trying to accomplish, but when the conversation allows, just let people know what you're up to. You never know when they'll be able to help you get to the next level or introduce you to someone who can. Now, this third category is probably the most difficult to cultivate, but you have got to forge relationships with legitimate mentors. I'm talking about the folks who have been where you're trying to go, the ones with a deep knowledge of an area in which you're trying to develop yourself. And they often can double as an influencer or connector, but the difference is they're also willing to offer sage advice and hopefully help you avoid some of the pitfalls that they've already encountered and worked through. Now, I know this topic has been covered ad nauseum. There are tons of articles and blogs and podcasts out there on the art of networking. So I don't want to reinvent the wheel, but I do want to give you some of the tips and tricks that I've used to cultivate mentor-mentee relationships in the past. First and foremost, don't feel like you have to go all the way to the top of the food chain to have a quality mentorship situation. If you are looking to one day own an entertainment conglomerate, it doesn't mean that Diddy has to mentor you. There are plenty of folks who may have less fame and less prestige in the public eye who actually have a wealth of knowledge to offer you. And often they can be a better mentor because they're able to dedicate more time and attention to you. Also, if you find someone that you would like to mentor you in any way, don't just go up to them and say, can you be my mentor or drop them a line and ask the question. This is in sixth grade. You should treat yourself as a colleague, even if they are farther ahead or farther in the process than you. See yourself as someone who's going to be their contemporary one day and carry yourself in such a manner. So I would lay the proper foundation. If they've written a book, read the book, buy it digest it, send them a line, tell them what you liked about it. If they're speaking on a panel, show up, ask a question, engage, greet them afterwards and tell them that you've enjoyed it. If they are leading any kind of fundraiser or community service event, give your time or give your money. Show them that you're just not out 
to basically get from them whatever they have to offer, but you're willing to contribute something as well. This helps to basically not only increase your visibility, but also show that you are interested in a genuine relationship and you don't want to just take, 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 take. Speaking of taking, while you are searching for a mentor and cultivating that relationship, do not forget this crucial piece of advice. There are a lot of predatory people out there, and some will take from you under the guise of offering mentorship. So if you find yourself in a situation where you feel used or like someone is draining you without offering anything in return, it's okay to sever ties and move on because that's not a mentor, that's a user. Now, one bright side to this, one silver lining is that if they are trying to use your talents, that means you probably have more gifts and you're probably more well-versed than you realize. So take it as a compliment, but please, please, please move on. I want to end this episode with a tribute to someone who got mentorship right. When I first moved to New York, one of the early influencers and connectors in my life linked me with the legendary Reggie Osei. Reggie was a former entertainment attorney turned popular podcaster known as Combat Jack. And over time, Reggie and I got to know each other. And every time our paths crossed, whether it was at Bring Your Own Blogger or New York Tech Day or at his own birthday party, he was always down to offer up advice and was curious about what I had going on and willing to help in any way that he could. So we built a solid foundation over a number of years. And then when I was considering a career transition, I knew that Reggie, the master of reinvention, would help me figure out what to do. So I reached out to him and I wasn't even very articulate in what it is that I was looking for, but Reggie got it anyway. And he offered up advice and names of people that I should speak to and really helped me make the decision to make the transition in my life to the next chapter of my career. As some of you may know, Reggie recently passed away after a very public and valiant fight with stage four colon cancer. So I wanted to take this moment to salute him and offer up gratitude for the contribution he made in my life and also for being one of the first people that I told about the December 26er concept right there in the pavilion at New York Tech Day a few years ago. And while it took me longer than I would have liked to get it up and running, this one's for you, Reggie. Thank you so much for everything. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, do not forget to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER. Thank you.